Hello and welcome to Inside Music, episode number 91. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and we have a great conversation for you this week. I told you it would be longer, and I have delivered. My guest, Deanna Chapman, is an aspiring music industry professional who might as well already have a career in this business. Deanna does not currently get paid to write about music or to promote music or to work with artists, but it's what she longs to do, and she has spent every minute of her life for the past several years working towards that goal. I respect Deanna Chapman immensely. I don't even remember how we both met, probably through Twitter, but as I started to see the things she wrote and started to see the way she cared for bands and people on the come up, I really, really started to enjoy her work. And then she has her podcast, Misaligned, which she has with a few co-hosts, and that's great. And then she invited me to be on her show, and she turned out to be a great interviewer as well. And at the end of it all, the only question I have is, how does Deanna Chapman not already have a career in the music industry? And that's a question that I actually have about a lot of people. Some of them have been on the show in the past. I meet a lot of really talented, incredibly driven, clearly passionate people who are thinking about the future of the music business in ways people who are currently getting paid to keep the music business alive have not yet considered. And I believe that that needs to change. And I think it will change in the years ahead. And that's kind of what I talk about with Deanna in this conversation. We get into a lot of things here. We start off by talking a little bit about Deanna's history. And then we segue into the changing of journalism and how it has impacted some of the big hot button topics this year. And, you know, things like allegations against musicians and the parallels we can draw between that and the way mainstream media is covering police shootings. There's a lot of heavy stuff here. And then after that, we transition just a bit into what the music industry is going to look like moving forward and where, if anywhere, there's a place for people like Deanna and myself. And it's a, I know that that's going to sound a little bit like a negative. And, it, and there are negative moments in the show, but overall, we are both one and the same. And by that, I mean we are both supporters of the future of the music business. We both believe in the music industry as much as we believe in our favorite artists. And we are working together in our own way to try to make it a better place. And we're hoping that through this conversation, we'll connect with a few more of you out there who are hoping to maybe enter the industry or are already in the in the industry and know the things that need to change. And maybe we can come together and find a way to make us all a little bit better for everyone involved. It's a pretty big setup to a conversation that runs about an hour and 15 minutes long, but I think it's, I think it's gonna be totally worth your time. Before I get there, I do wanna tell you a few quick things. The biggest of them being that this episode of Inside Music and every episode of this show is only made possible by Holix, the music industry's leading digital promotional distribution company. What that means is that Holix helps the music industry share new and unreleased albums without fear of piracy. How they do that is something that you can find out on their website, holix.com. That's H-A-U-L-I-X.com. If you visit holix.com, you can also sign up for a free, no-risk, trial of their platform and i tell you it's pretty great and yes i work for holix but i've seen the competition and holix is best second i need you to be following this show on twitter we talk about this every single week but there's a community there and it's growing and the people that are coming out of the woodwork to talk about the show and talk about the conversations we have on the show there's some of my favorite people on earth they might be my favorite people after my parents and my wife my cats and my dog and that's like six people down but it's still pretty good at inside music pod that's at inside music pod Third, since Deanna doesn't have an album or anything like that to promote, I'm going to tell you to check out her podcast. Misaligned is a fantastic show that explores a lot of little nooks and crannies of the industry and also does a whole bunch of other things. It's, it's a little bit of a variety show, as you'll hear her describe here in a minute. And I think it's really great. I was actually just on it, so if you need a place to start, Misaligned, the most recent episode of Misaligned, or two episodes back whenever you're hearing this, James Shotwell is the guest. That's me. I host this show. And I hope you check it out. 
And I uh, one more, one more. So just, uh, sorry, four points this week. The fourth one, the song you're about to hear is chosen by Deanna. We talk about it in the episode, but it's by the band Fossil Youth, who I hope to have on the show very soon. They're a fantastic up-and-coming rock band, and I urge you to seek out their upcoming album. Pre-order it, stream it, whatever you have to do, just make sure you experience Fossil Youth in full. Okay? Let's get to the show. Impatience all of the time And every once in a while It's followed by a brash goodbye I know I hurt you Even though I never really wanted to You said you lost faith Well, I try to keep it easy for guests um, Yeah You know, you want to be consistent, so I think so. This is going to be episode number ninety-one or ninety-two. I always I forget at this point. Um, okay. But as we're getting close, I think at one hundred, I'm gonna kind of do like an overhaul of the quality of the show and maybe kind of the formatting a little bit, kind of how because right. I have like a you know like a milestone of some kind. But in the weeks before that, I'm like, let's just keep doing it the way we always have, and when we hit one hundred, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we're going to hit fifty next week, so. Although, like, I'm the only one who's been on 50 episodes, so <laughs> it's just kind of like, all right. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i still kind of in disbelief that I'm so close to 100. It's like, where did the time go, and what have I been doing with my life? Yeah. I and I mean, for Misaligned, we would have hit 50 had I originally started doing the guest episodes on mm-hmm. the off weeks, because for a while, when it first started, we were just doing the every other week and I didn't have the idea to do the guest episodes until we were at least I want to say 10 episodes in maybe mm. and then I was like oh maybe I should do this so yeah we would have hit 50 like 10 episodes ago or something had I started that from the beginning yeah it's it's kind of strange right like this is kind of a fun thing for us to start talking about off the top but like starting a podcast is kind of hard because you're like well I, I don't you don't really know what the show is going to be until you start doing it. Like, then right. you're like oh, this is what it is. Because at first you're like, this is what I want to do. And I feel like once you start recording, maybe even like it takes like two or three episodes before you're like, okay, now I kind of, this is who, this is what this is. Yeah. And with you, at least it's always been you and a guest for misaligned. It's changed. Uh, like I want to say three times now when we started, it was myself, Ashley, Aaron and Caitlin, from absolute punk so i'm sure people who listen to your podcast probably know who she is and then it was myself caitlin and megan moore who's also a writer at modern vinyl and then now it's just myself and megan and we haven't bothered getting a third co-host really so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out you know if we keep it that way and then Basically, I guess you could say we even have a fourth iteration of the podcast because then the guest episodes, it's just myself and the guest. So there's kind of a lot going on already within the first 50 episodes of this podcast. And we've added the Misaligned Book Club and we're kind of still trying new things. And to say that 50 episodes in, 
I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, it's like, is it good that we keep trying to change things and make them better? Or do people just kind of want to listen to the same podcast they're used to listening to? I think you can be both. That's kind of the cool thing about podcasts and kind of become whatever. Like I kind of think of misaligned. It's almost like a variety show. You never know what's going to happen week to week. Like you always know I'm going to be talking about something probably not that related to music with somebody that works in music like every week. Like that's pretty much all my show is. (laughs) But with, (laughs) with yours, you can tune in every week and be like, what's what's going to happen this week? What are we doing this week? Okay, good to know that's that's working for us. At least that's how I see it. But for people listening now who maybe haven't heard Misaligned yet, even though they, they should have listened to last week's episode because I was on it. But if they <laughs> yes. haven't yet, what is Misaligned? Or what is it? what did it start out to be? As we just discussed, it's not really anything. But what is it? What What is the initial goal that you started out with? And then what are you still doing that? Or you feel like you're still working towards that, et cetera? Right. Well, Chris from Modern Vinyl had approached me about starting a podcast that would be hosted through Modern Vinyl and everything. And his main goal was to get a podcast with women talking about music because this isn't an exact quote from him, but he was like, there's a lot of white guys doing this, basically, or a lot of guys in general. But for the most part, it is a lot of white guys who are also doing all of you know, the music-based podcasts. And while I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, I just think that means there's more room for women to have a podcast of their own and that sort of thing. And as far as I know, Misaligned is, at least within our little group of music podcasts that we listen to, the first one to really do that. I know you and Ray Harkins have had women guests on, but it's never been a thing where women have just come on and hosted a podcast to talk about music. And Chris really wanted to bring that voice into the scene because of all of the things that have been happening as of late, you know, all of the sexual assault allegations, concerts being safe spaces and that sort of thing. So he just wanted a different perspective because for those of you who don't know, the modern vinyl podcast is three guys. Most of the time, I know sometimes not all three hosts can make it on the show. And then Chris will do guest episodes. So misaligned is, I don't want to say it's just the women's version of that, but it's similar in style to what the Modern Vinyl podcast initially started doing. And then how did Chris and you first get to know each other? Well, He asked me to be on the Modern Vinyl podcast, and then I guess he thought it went so well that he wanted me to find other women to host a podcast with. And I think I more so knew about the podcast through James Cassar, and I just knew him because he kind of knew a lot of my friends in Philly. Like, you know, he was familiar with Eric and Emily at LAMO who I went to school with, Zach Zarillo, and a few other of the music industry kids at Drexel. So I've never met any of them. I've never met James, Michael, or Chris. But it's like we've brought about this kind of internet connection and internet friendship, and that's kind of how this whole thing started. And I mean, I feel like it's that way with a lot of our people we call friends and whatnot. Like I would consider like you, Jacob Tender, James Cassar friends, even though, you know, we've never met because we all live in different states. 
And for people that we're just slowly rolling it back to the beginning and then I guess we'll move forward. But <laughs> prior yeah. to me and Chris, like, so for everyone, where do you kind of come from in the world of music, you know, discussion? Like, well, where, what was your starting point? And like, if people maybe haven't heard Misaligned, maybe they saw your work somewhere else. Like, can you kind of give us the short history? Yeah. So long story short, in eighth, like between eighth and ninth grade, when you have to take health class in high school or whatever, one of the teachers had us kind of write a page or a paragraph about what we wanted to do with our lives. And I put that I wanted to be like a music producer, like Randy Jackson or something, which, you know, I wish I made that much money, (laughs) but obviously it kind of turned into something else over the years because in high school, I did intern at a recording studio, but I realized, you know, maybe the tech side of the music industry was not for me. So then I went to Drexel in Philadelphia for music industry. And that's kind of where things really started to get going for me. And I ended up living with Zach Zarillo our sophomore year until I finished. And I happened to finish early and kind of just left him there to fend for himself, you know. (laughs) And there I started writing for like Drexel's own music website that was student run. It was called The Correspondence. And that's really where I started getting into doing reviews and whatnot. And I was helping Zach out with, you know, news posts on property of Zach. I was creating the Spotify playlist for all of those band playlists that he would do. And then from there, I sort of started contributing here and there to, you know, like the decade pieces for for albums that turned 10. So I would have little spots on property of Zach and it kind of just built from there and my senior year at Drexel is when I started Wreck-It Records and I worked with I want to say three bands during that time and while some went better than others it was definitely a learning experience and I realized that despite bands being difficult to work with at times doing the label thing even if I don't necessarily have a budget for bands to go record, you know, $3,000 albums or whatever, I still wanted to help them in any way I could. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I was at a job at a company called Music Reports, and that was essentially just data entry. So it wasn't really too music-based. Like, it wasn't music-based enough for me to be satisfied with that. Sure, it paid well, and I still you know, kind of had time to do the other things. But I also started Hi-Fi Noise my senior year at Drexel. And that's really where I got my own writing habits going. And that site has since evolved from just a music blog to covering comic books, sports once in a while. And then from there, I started writing for, you know, a dedicated Packers website, a dedicated Lakers website, and a comic book website. And while none of these things pay, it's still something I want to do. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with this. And obviously misaligned happened in between there. That actually started last year. So you're like a classic hardworking unpaid music professional. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's a thing that kind of stands on its own in the digital age because of, I guess, the ease of access to different fields, like you can have a label and stuff, but they've always existed. The, the unpaid music professional, I mean. Right. So at this point in your life, what would you like to be, I guess, what is the career goal? Or is there more, is it just like if any one of these kind of pays off, that would be good? Or is there like one that you're kind of banking on more than the others? 
Yeah, I think I really would be okay with either, you know, whether it's writing, publicity, or the label. I would be perfectly happy with any of those working out. And that's why I'm still putting effort into all three of those because I know some people think it's easier to just stick with one thing and focus on that. But I've never really found myself able to do that. I feel like I like way too many things to just spend all of my energy on one of them. And especially someone who's into, you know, music, sports, comic books, TV shows, and a whole range of things that I almost feel like it would be unfair to myself to just say, okay, I'm just going to focus on this one thing and ignore everything else so I can make this one thing work for me. I totally get that. I uh, I mean, that was kind of always my approach, and I guess in a lot of ways it still is. I might have a job working at Holix, but you know, I write for Substream, and I do a bunch of other things that are like, well, they don't pay necessarily, but I would like to, you know, maybe one day, maybe it'll lead somewhere. You always got to keep that door open. Right. Where you're like, maybe this will pay off. I like that. No, I, I think your backstory is good, and I think you made a good point there earlier where you said, uh, well, I guess Chris made it initially, about there not being a lot of women or being a lot of white dudes, and I had the same thought, not just about podcasts in general, but about my podcast where I'm like, okay, we're, at, we're nearing 100 episodes, and I think I've had like four women on in 90 episodes, right. and that's not like an intentional thing. Like I'm not like, oh, I don't want to have more women on. But sometimes I feel like, I guess what you're offered more often than not is dudes. Like it's rare yeah. that someone's like, do you want to have, I, getting asked to interview female artists, as you know, is something that happens regularly. But being offered an in-depth conversation with female artists is not something that happens as often, in my experience anyways. Yeah. And, you know, your episode with Baby Metal, you said, you know, on Miss Lion that that is one of your most popular episodes. And I just think even though that was a much shorter episode than usual, that kind of goes to show how popular women can be in the music industry, especially when they're not necessarily your typical, you know, pop star and that sort of thing. And I do think it is harder to get women artists on podcasts because personally, when I've been doing these guest episodes, it's pretty much been all guys. It actually might literally be all guys. And at least, you know, that kind of balances out with our regular episodes. But I don't think I've had a single request from anyone's PR or anything to have a woman come on the podcast. And I think with the scene that we kind of focus in, it's just a reality that there's not all that many women in the scene in general in bands. I think that that's, that is a reality. And the other thing that I've encountered is like I had Anna Acosta on once and we had a really great conversation, but like she came on specifically so that we could talk about women's issues in the world of music or how, you know, a mistreatment of women in music and, you know, journalism standards and covering, uh, you know, abuse of women and things like that. But it was, it was almost like we had a very technical conversation about all of the problems that make it so that we don't have more women podcasters and women on podcasts. But it's, right. but again, it was like, it was almost like a cheat episode because it was like, well, I had a female guest, but we didn't really get into what makes her tick. We just kind of got into what ticks her off. And I feel like, right. and I feel like in this scene, when there are opportunities to interview a lot of 
female professionals or musicians, especially right now, like that's what the conversation is. Like when I when I talk to someone like a Chris Farron, we can kind of we kind of get lost in something stupid or like on the recent time he was on, we talked about like death a lot, which isn't necessarily stupid, but it's kind of like a tangent about something unreal. That was like a very personal thing where you kind of get the sense that you're having a, a moment with that individual. But I feel like there's a lot of pressure on women who do get the opportunity to do press to kind of be a voice for all of the other women that it's sometimes they don't get to tell their own story as a result. Yeah. And you mentioned that episode with Anna, which I listened to and I thought it was great. I just don't want misaligned to be that every episode, you know, yes, it was started with the intentions of getting women's voices and opinions on the scene. And at the beginning it did have a lot of that sort of conversation. Like we pretty extensively covered the Kesha case. And I feel like after a while, it's just sort of draining to keep talking about these same problems over and over again. And I don't want the podcast to become known just for that. Like I don't want it to be, oh, misaligned. That's the podcast where they just talk about the issues with women in the scene. Yes, they're important things to talk about, but that's not the only thing women have to talk about. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think um, sometimes I feel like part of the problem with getting that message out or giving it to the people who need to hear it is that you can't just have that message. You have to kind of envelope, envelope it in something else. You know what I mean? It has to be a, it has to be a right. sandwich. It's like, it's like the idea of a, how people say that the best way to insult somebody is to give them two compliments, to be like, oh, I really like your hair. You could work on your writing. I, and I really like your personality. You know, just kind yeah. of you sandwich something kind of negative in between two compliments, and I feel like that's almost the same approach that works best when it's trying to tackle those big topics. Is like the uh, the people who have like on Twitter their Twitter handles is like you know punk feminist, and every single tweet is about right now it's it's the guy and I think it's turnover. There's a guy in turnover that's being accused of some wrongdoing with women, and like that's a story that needs to get out. But if every single tweet is about throwing shade at that dude, you're the people that you're trying to reach just kind of tune it out. Whereas if uh, if Absolute Punk or sorry, Chorus uh, runs a story on it, it's kind of nestled between like Yellow Card released new video, dude in band accused of doing something shitty. And then, you know, someone announces tour dates. And I think it, it sometimes it gets more traction that way because it's it's treated like, uh, you know, like it's not the only story, but it's maybe a, an important story. Right. And. Like I mentioned, with the Kesha case, we covered that extensively. And at some point, it's like. I feel like we don't have to cover every single instance of this because, again, if we did, that's all the podcasts would end up being about. And that's not really the direction I want the podcast to go in. And, yes, these things are very important to talk about, but I feel like I don't want to spend every podcast talking about that. Like, that'll kind of get to you eventually. And when you have the same people talking about the same thing every week or every other week, what have you. It's kind of like you can't really bring up any new points at some point. Mm. No, I totally agree. It's, it's like, what, what else can be said? Like you, we all know that it's, it's a terrible thing. It's, it's like the, it's, uh, it's like the, 
principle of diminishing returns. You know what I mean? If you just keep right. doing the same thing over and over, it's not going to get anywhere, which is kind of reason why I was excited to get you on the show, even though you were like, what are we going to talk about? And in my mind, I was like, we're just going to talk about you. Like, we're just going <laughs> to, we're going to talk about whatever comes to mind because I felt like one of the problems that I've encountered when I've had female guests in the past is that we, we kind of get this idea where we're like, let's do like, let's talk about the problems, whatever. And then we just spend an hour doing that. And I end up and I'm like, well, I don't know anything more about this person. And I don't know that the listeners do. And I don't want to just preach at them. You know what I right. mean? I want to, I want them to walk away and be like, I want to follow Deanna Chapman. And if it's part of your prerogative to bring, you know, to light, you know, shitty dudes in music or whatever, then, then hopefully they pick up on that. But there's a lot more to you than that. Yeah. You're, and sometimes I feel like I'm not even the right person to talk about these things because personally I haven't had any experiences like that. And I know when we did the assault and allegations episode, I believe it was like episode 21 and a half or something. I know Anna was a little upset with the position I took on it because in her view, I was playing devil's advocate and I didn't realize I was doing this. I was just, you know, trying to ask questions because I'm not familiar with these things happening. And just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I've had these things happen to me at shows and whatnot because I've gone to plenty of shows by myself and, you know, for the most part, people just leave me alone and I, you know, go enjoy the show. And I think so maybe then I came across the wrong way in that conversation. And while it was a shorter episode, there were still things I need to learn myself from that. And it's kind of always a process, no matter who is talking about these things, because we're all coming at it from different perspectives. And I just thought, you know, we should do this episode because this is happening and someone needs to talk about it. So, I mean, Anna is the only one, as far as I know, who actually made any comment about it. I know some people said the episode was fine and whatnot, but she gave, you know, helpful criticism, basically. So, you know, it's still a learning process, even for myself. And I feel like that's also another reason to not necessarily cover it every single episode, because like I said earlier, you'll kind of end up bringing up the same points over and over and over again. And you can only bring them up so many times before it kind of gets mind-numbing. And it's like, okay, we're talking about the same thing over and over and over again, and nothing's changing. And not only are we changing, not only is nothing changing, but you know, these these things happen. The people that are doing these things are clearly not persuaded by the current efforts to, you know, educate people or shade them or whatever you want to say. Um, so you so at some point you have to kind of be like, okay, let's take a step back and try to figure out a better way to do this. Because clearly just like raising our pitchforks and torches through Twitter is not doing anything other than, you know, you know, complaining after the fact, which is fine. But if you want to, you know, if you want to incite real change, you have to kind of precipitate it a little bit. Right. <clears throat> and, you know, and, and to go along with this, and I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this is, 
do you think, and this, this turnover thing has been going on for like three or four days now, and I haven't seen any of the major sites pick it up yet, and I'm wondering if maybe, like you said, there's maybe there's a little bit of burnout happening because it, uh, for, for websites even, it's like how many times can we write the same story? And I mean, they're always good for clicks. If we're going to get like into the dirty truth of journalism, like if it bleeds, it leads. If it allegedly assaults somebody, it should it leads. Um, but sites aren't picking this one up so fast. And I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing a trend where like 2015 was the year of allegation stories. Like there were a bunch of big stories and every single one of them, even alternative press eventually came around to like talking about some of these things. In 2016, right. there's been a few almost all notably smaller artists like i think this turnover one's probably the biggest one so far and they're getting less and less coverage as time goes on and less and less follow through because it's not just it's not just the mentions on the blogs it's the due diligence of like okay what actually happened the whole journalistic process and i feel like it's it's getting diminished with each new accusation do you think that that's maybe that's also part of the problem is that we we've hit a wall in terms of how much you can be like this terrible thing happened and it shouldn't happen and we should whatever chase these people out of town like do you think that's kind of been taken as far as it can go and now we've got to figure out a new way to make it you know something that people actually care about or that hits them and it isn't just like another news story yeah definitely and i mean i didn't even know about this turnover one until you just mentioned it here and i feel like in a similar way to outside of the music scene it's sort of like you know every time we hear a cop shot an unarmed man again and more often than not these people tend to be african-american and you know these are things that shouldn't be happening no matter what but no matter how many big sites cover it and especially with the police shootings you have much bigger sites covering these events you have you know washington post and all of those sites and still nothing is really happening to stop it so it's kind of like a vicious cycle of these things happening over and over and over again. And no matter what the press does, that doesn't really stop it from happening again. So I feel like, yes, it should be posted about, but at the same time, you kind of have to step back and think, okay, if I post about this, what effect is it really having? And like I said, obviously these are things that need to be talked about, but just talking about them isn't what's going to fix them necessarily. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, I just, it, it's something that's almost like a, we need like reform for covering allegations and stuff. It's just, it's a thing that's kind of getting out of hand. And I'm always curious to talk to another journalist about it because it's like you mentioned, you did a great, great kind of parallel there, the idea of police shooting people. So there have been two of those this week. Uh, the right. one in Charlotte being like the headline as we're talking right now with the riots yeah. and stuff. But I had the same thought this week where I, the first one happened at like three in the afternoon. And by like that night, the guy uh, shot when his car stalled on the road. That guy was a headline, was a trending topic by the time I woke up the next morning. And then this one in Charlotte happened so fast that the guy who got shot next to his stalled car, like he was immediately out of the news. Like the Charlotte thing has already overshadowed that other case. And yeah, that, and, and that's and that's fine, but it's again, it's not being covered the same way that we even covered these stories two months ago. 
like they're so quickly becoming just a part of the daily news cycle that it, it's like who's who's impacted outside of the you know the immediate community the communities are still getting upset and i guess there is a parallel to draw to that to the that niche of the alternative community who is still really carrying the torch for change here but that i feel like the size of the audience that is moved or feels the urgency to fight for change in these situations is diminishing across the board. Yeah. And as you know, I was in jury duty yesterday and I did end up getting dismissed, but one of the other jurors that was in the jury selection with me, once he found out that the only witnesses who would possibly be testifying were, I believe, two cops and a crime lab guy, he so he was an African-American man and he was like, honestly, with the way things are going right now, I don't think I could sit in on this jury and be unbiased. And, you know, obviously the judge and the lawyers want you to be honest. And, you know, it it, it was like a possession case for whatever. And obviously with jury duty, you're not really supposed to talk about what cases are about, but. Ultimately, him and I were dismissed and one other guy was dismissed because he didn't want to reschedule his business trip or couldn't reschedule his business trip or what have you. But I was sitting there and it was kind of infuriating to me how slow our system is in general. And, you know, when the man made that comment, I was just like, yeah, I really agree with him because, you know, none of these cops are being prosecuted. I feel like not a single one has been prosecuted and most of them don't even lose their jobs either. And it's kind of like, you know, the judge had made a comment that basically to the jury, we need to do better. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, the jury's not the ones who need to do better. You know, it's the prosecution and these cops and the system in general just feels so broken right now. And we see this a lot with, you know, sexual assault cases where most of the time people aren't even charged. And it's sort of like, why are you bothering to tell the jury that we're the ones who need to do better when there's so many other things wrong with the system? And personally, after being there all day and, you know, they didn't even finish picking the jury, it's like, okay, so you have us come in for jury duty and you can't even select a jury within one day and we had an hour and 45 minute lunch like that's a ridiculous amount of time for a lunch break so to me it's just kind of like there are so many things that need to be fixed before we can even start fixing other things no you're absolutely right it's it's a, and we're not going to solve it today on this podcast but it's it's worth talking about right because i feel like I feel like the only one of the big problems, especially in, in our world, because we can't we aren't going to fix the big problems. But if we're going to try to address what's happening in the world of alternative music, I think a, a big starting block to meaningful change is to have a conversation between the influencers. And even though music blogs have taken a back seat to, you know, discovery made possible by streaming and or other big major publications that have way more readers this alternative community is unlike almost any other in the digital music space where blogs of all shapes and sizes kind of come together to celebrate these artists and a lot of them are known people who like you know if someone reads modern vinyl there's a 
better chance than not that they also read some other alternative music blogs that are considered small by most people, and you know, in right. comparison to spin and stuff. But the problem that a lot of people I don't think understand is that there is there is like no connection between sites. You know, there is no uh, there is no alternative journalism community or committee or group or club or gang. Even <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. we are not connected. Before you and I connected over Twitter, like we didn't know each other. We both did the same thing in the same space covering the same artist working with the same publicist and we had no idea who what the other one even looked like or sounded like or thought like right and so i feel like uh, that's that's another contributing factor is there's no real organization to how news is shared and disseminated and everyone just kind of is like throwing things at a wall and we hope that at some point we all stumble upon the next big thing or the next big story and i think there's there is a element of lost possibilities through the fact that we don't organize and train better. Yeah, and I mean, even something as simple as, you know, putting together a Slack group or a Facebook group or something and getting a bunch of these writers together could help because then a lot of times we could probably pool our resources and kind of get all of the facts from all of the different sides that way. And I mean, personally, when these things happen like the assault allegations and whatnot i don't really cover them on my website because i feel like one my site is so small that it really wouldn't make any sort of impact for the amount of time i would have to spend on a story like that i do think some of the bigger sites like you mentioned chorus alternative press even spin I feel like those are the sites that can really help make a difference in this because they have such a wider audience than a site like mine does. You're absolutely right. It does it does start at the top. But I think it can be influenced from the from the bottom up. I mean, if we look at alternative press's coverage of allegations in 2015, they didn't really jump on the ball full-fledged until the neck deep issue until the neck deep one came up and i feel like that almost resulted more from the fact that neck deep was a recent cover star and they had a billboard charting album at the time but by the time that allegation broke alternative press was kind of up against a wall where people were like hey let's you guys need to do something because you are the figurehead of the alternative music news world and you have to start commenting on this and they did and then in october they ran that you know break the silence feature that people have kind of hounded them for ever since because it seemed like they said one thing and then from a business standpoint did a completely different thing Uh, And and the reasons for that are completely up to me because I I feel like a lot of people get on alternative press's case because they try to hold them to the same expectations that you would hold a chorus or a modern vinyl just because that's who we've been using as an example here. But it's not because those websites don't rely on, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of advertising monthly just to have the doors open. There's There's a lot more relationships and networking and kind of trickery to how how a magazine like Altern not trickery but a lot of uh, a lot more a lot more messiness to how an operation like Alternative Press has to run and ever since I've come to Substream we've had a similar I've had a similar conversation with the owner Jason like we're moving away from alternative music kind of trying to target that college demo you know people who cuz I remember when I hit 18 and I got to college I kept getting Alternative Press but I slowly started to feel what they covered and what I was interested in disconnecting you get a little cuz right. they keep 
they maintain a demographic and you grow out of it eventually. Um, so substring wants to be the thing that moves up from there. But a big part of that conversation was like, we didn't want to have to cover all these allegations. Uh, not that we don't think that they should be covered, but a problem that they had run into is that you cover the allegations against an artist like Neck Deep, and then the next month you need to sell ad space in your magazine, and the Neck Deep's label's like, oh no, we don't want any part of working with you. It doesn't matter right. that, that their artist was in the wrong. It matters that you said something against somebody who off, off gave you money. Like That's the trickiness of business, journalism and business. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and it's something that's very specific just to entertainment because like that doesn't have like the Washington Post, like Trump banned them from covering his things. But it's not like the Washington Post ever had a reason to question whether or not it was OK to out Donald Trump. It's OK to out Donald Trump because he's a political figure and his campaign doesn't give anything to the give anything to the newspaper, nor should it or would it ever do so. But in music right. publications, we rely on music advertisers and you can't cross the wires there. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's still something that is hard to figure out, obviously. And for a site like mine, I don't run ads or anything. So that's completely different if I chose to cover these things in depth. And honestly, I don't think that just because there are women writers on music sites and everything that every single one of us has to cover these things. Like I said, I didn't even know about the turnover one because I haven't really seen it posted anywhere. And well, I was also in jury duty yesterday, so that kind of hindered my ability yeah. to keep up <laughs> on things. Well, there, you know, there's a few, there's a few really nice, not nice, but there's, a, there's a few very creative and driven Twitter accounts that have kind of popped up in the last few months to fin girls, not pop punk and inclusive right. punk and all of them. And they've kind of been all over the story and I don't know all the details to try to act like it here, but it's, you know, basically dude and band is manipulating girls and there are screenshots to prove it and all that jazz. And it's, it's a, it's another case of like shitty dude and band does something shitty. Um, but it's different because, and this is another element of it that I don't think people have really talked about a lot yet, is that there is a certain niche of the alternative music scene that would like to see every allegation of any kind kind of treated the same way. Like if you're, a, if they view you as a quote unquote shitty person towards women or towards anything, they're like, let's oust you from our community. Like let's blackball them. Let's get them out of our scene altogether. But not every allegation like some like the front porch step one versus the neck deep one versus this turnover one even though i know you don't know much about it like they're three very different stories you know what i mean right. like the allegations are different the thing the evidence is different and the size of the artist is different and that does play a role regardless of whether or not people feel it should um so I, I feel like that's that's another issue. Like if, if it, it's one thing that they're all that they're maybe we're covering them the wrong way, but that's another issue that like part of it has to do with the fact that most music writers online don't have proper journalism training, myself included. I've had to like learn the hard way, but right. people people don't know how to treat it. So everything's just allegations and it's not like, and people write about a rape allegation the same way they write about someone just being a misogynist allegedly. And so, so there's this, there's no, 
there's no scale for like outrage. It's just outrage. It's one one voice, one tone, one pitch, and I think it, that that leads to you kind of go deaf to it after a while. Yeah, and I feel like you know, with hi-fi noise, I don't really focus on the negative aspects of the scene because if I did, I feel like that would literally be all the site was about. So I understand when you know, it's a site that has a staff and they have a larger amount of people, but my site, it's just me. So it's like, if I'm spending all of my time doing one article in depth, it's kind of like the rest of the site is being neglected while I'm doing that. And I'm sure, you know, you just mentioned you don't have a journalism background or, you know, you've been learning the hard way. I like writing, but I would not consider myself a journalist by any means. All I do is I post songs I enjoy and I, you know, write reviews for TV shows, comics and whatnot that I enjoy. And I'll go talk about sports on those dedicated sites. So I'm not doing the same type of reporting that some of these bigger sites are doing and that they have the resources to do that. I would agree, though. I, I always hesitate to call myself a journalist. I feel like I, uh, a music, I don't know what else to say. Like, I'm a music, I, I also hate the word influencer because it feels like such a, uh, such a self-priding word where you're like, oh, no, I influence people for a living. Like, I don't, <laughs> right. that's not what I do. I, and I hate con- content creator because in some way that feels like you're belittling what you do because you're like, I don't. I don't write content. I write like something, you know, it's, it's not just drivel um, to fill space on the internet. So it, I do struggle with it. I'm not like a music, I wouldn't say I'm more like a music commentator, I guess. Yeah. To me, you can be a writer without being a journalist. Like you can be a music writer, someone who just writes about music or, you know, a film critic because you are in fact critiquing films but you don't have to be a journalist necessarily. You're not going out and looking for scoops and looking for, you know, the story to end all stories. And I think, you know, that's definitely a distinct difference. Like I would say I'm a music writer, but I wouldn't consider myself a journalist by any means because I don't do all of those things that a journalist does, nor do I really know how to. That is also accurate. <laughs> um, one of the things, you know, I, I do a lot of talking at schools and a lot of the things I tell people is there's this there's this old saying about acting. That's like, if you love it, just keep doing it. And eventually someone will find a find a need for you. And I feel like the same thing applies to music. And that's a horrible piece of advice to give somebody. But in my experience, almost 99% of the time that's the case like the the person who just kind of hangs around the longest eventually gets a job you know you make yourself right. known you talk to somebody enough eventually someone's gonna give you a chance because you've kind of assimilated into being a part of the community um and that's that's the that's a pro and a con of living in the digital age where it's like well sometimes people get into a position where they have a you know a seat of influence so to say and they they in no way are like technically prepared for it you know they just kind of get it thrust upon them and then we're like well you have to act like a journalistic professional even though you're still in high school and you have 30,000 followers on twitter like we we hold them to this ridiculous standard that's like well why would they why would they know what to do with that power yeah definitely and you know a lot of us 
don't just focus on music like I mentioned. You have your film writing that you do, and I already mentioned all of the different things I write about because I am probably crazy. But, you know, I've had some people follow me on Twitter for one reason, and they're like, wow, I didn't realize you like this too and this and this and, you know, whatever. So it's always kind of cool to have people start paying attention to you for one thing and then realize how many different things you do or, you know, how many different interests you have. It's like just because we mainly focus on music doesn't mean that's the only side to us, basically. Mm. Exactly. No. And if you're lucky enough, you hang around long enough that you get the opportunity to express those other sides of yourself. I always say that, like, even if you don't end up in music, trying to make it in music is a great primer to succeed in any other area of life. Because in my experience, like everything else is other than maybe film and other areas of entertainment, everything outside of the world of entertainment is indescribably easier (laughs) to navigate than the entertainment industry. So if you can figure out how to do it in entertainment, the rest is a piece of cake. Even if you don't end up here, you'll be like, well, when I was in music, I was piss poor for four years, but I managed to pay my rent every month off writing. So I think I can be a teacher. <laughs> like you, You'll figure it out. Right. So let me ask you, Deanna Chapman, if you, if, if these things don't come together the way you think they do, like where does Deanna Chapman end up? Like where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, isn't that the no worst idea. question? <laughs> I, I don't know the answer to that for myself, so I, it's a little unfair of me to ask. I've, I don't know if I could tell you where I see myself in two years. Hopefully where I am now, but more successful. But, like, that's it's, it's just up in the air at the moment. So for you, like, what does the future hold? What should people yeah, be I mean, looking out for? Right. If the music thing doesn't work out, I honestly have no idea because I've, put most of my energy into that. Obviously, I majored in music industry, so majoring in music industry doesn't exactly get you into a lot of other areas (laughs) because it's so specific. I didn't, you know, go major in communications or something like that that could be more broadly applied. So I think even if music necessarily doesn't work out, I think even doing publicity for, you know, brands or video games or what have you. I think that is something I would be perfectly fine doing, but I think right now I definitely want to focus on, you know, trying to make the record label or freelance publicity work because those are the things I really enjoy doing aside from writing and I know, you know, writing is a lot harder to make happen especially in a freelance capacity. Definitely, definitely. I was actually, I was actually just talking to Ray from Rabia this morning about uh, about a fellow writer, a guy that contributes to the Holics blog a lot, Seth Workheiser, and he uh, he's one of those freelance writers now. He actually started Noise Creep back in the day, and then AOL bought it, and it kind of got buried. And I'm sure Seth's dream when they bought Noise Creep was to run Noise Creep forever. And now here we are about a decade after they bought it. And he's now a freelance writer who runs a Metal Trivia Twitter account. Like that pays his bills. But the fight to get to that point from where he was, that'd be like if I jumped, maybe if UTG died this year and it did, if we jumped 10 years in the future and I'm just a, and I'm a freelance writer with a Metal Trivia Twitter, like it's such a big amount of time. But he finally like was able to get to that point where it's like, oh, now all he does is write, but Seth's like in his mid thirties at this point. It's kind of scary to be like, maybe I won't 
get to like this full time until a lot longer than most people get to their you know peak career or not even peak career career right <laughs> and you know i did have my job last year but i felt like while it was you know allowing me to live in an apartment by myself and pay the bills and everything it's just it wasn't what i wanted to be doing and i figured all right i'm not really happy with this job I'll see if my parents will let me move back home and I'll do my stuff while I look for something else that maybe fits more along the lines of what I want to do. And here we are, you know, nearing the end of September and I'm still just doing my stuff. I do get things that pay here and there, but it's, you know, not anything sustainable at the moment. So really, I think I just need to crack down and start, you know, emailing bands be like hey do you guys need publicity and you know my rates are going to be a lot less than a PR firm because I'm not having the overhead of an office or an apartment or anything right now and I feel like if I can do that and kind of get a core group of clients that will hopefully stay with me even if I have to you know do price increases and whatnot here and there for each album or what have you to kind of, you know, be able to make a living off of that. I think that's something I'm willing to put a lot of effort in, but that's not something that will necessarily keep me from doing, you know, the website, the writing and the record label, because with the record label, I have to do PR anyway for those bands. So it really will just kind of depend on whether or not a band wants just PR or if they want help with, you know, getting social media accounts set up, getting this and that set up getting digital distribution going because even though you have things like CD Baby and TuneCore, a lot of people think those are the only two options and they aren't. So it's kind of like, you know, do they just strictly want PR or do they kind of want to learn a lot more about how the music industry works and do that through the label? You make a good point. And you're right. Most people do only think TuneCore and CD Baby exists. <laughs> Um, I, it's, it's one of those weird things where I feel like we're at the cusp of one kind of generation of music sites and companies. And I think we're about to see the dawn of a bunch of new ones and the new ones are starting all the time. But I've been thinking about this yesterday. They announced that spin media had sold pure volume and idolater. And I was like, holy crap, when's the last time like people talked about pure volume? I mean, it's still a site and they still get tons of traffic, but remember when pure volume was like the source for new music? Yeah, I kind of chuckle when I get, you know, so-and-so premiered their song at pure volume. I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> you know, that's still a thing almost. And while I was never a huge pure volume user myself, it did end up being a really, really big music site. And I feel like it fizzled out fairly quickly because it's like, you know, it was this big thing and then all of a sudden it kind of wasn't. Well, it was weird because I, f I felt like Pure Volume was started with these really honest intentions of just being a very simple and straightforward music streaming and discovery platform. And what it is today, it has this big news component to it, and the the uploading and sharing of music is kind of a backseat. And what I felt like they always missed was like a combination of the two, because Pure Volume definitely had the traffic to be a huge music site, but it was really right. hard. But they never had anything to kind of keep you there, and they didn't run 
uh, a lot of original editorial content. Like people would just upload songs there and it'd be like, you can stream our new song on this website and it would have all, a lot of songs from their old records and you could just kind of spin out, you know, so you could enjoy it all in one place. But there was never an editorial component where they would, they didn't used to do song premieres like on the front page. If they did, it would be like, you know, hit the lights premieres a new song, you click on it and it would just take you to hit the lights pure volume page. Right. And then it would, you know, it'd be like there, it, there was no original content component to like the development end of it. It was all artist generated content. That's good, but you have to, you can't build a community with like 10,000 different tiny groups. You have to, you have to find a way to tie them together. And now they've tied them together, but they've lost the little niche market there. I think in part because of Bandcamp. I think Bandcamp kind of swallowed Pure Volume's audience. Yeah, and I mean, personally, I really love what Bandcamp is doing, and I think the way they have it laid out and everything, I feel like that's really going to be the way to go for a while with, you know, indie musicians, small to mid-sized labels that want to just easily get their music out digitally and not necessarily have to direct everyone to iTunes and Amazon and some of these places that may take bigger cuts. It's true. It's true. It's it's weird, but Pure Volume, what I was trying to get to originally is that Pure Volume is was kind of one of those flagship things of the music. It was like MySpace and Pure Volume and Sonic Bids, TuneCore, CD Baby. That's all part of this first generation of music websites. And you can argue that MySpace, like they all died at different times. But I feel like in a cyclical nature of business, we're about to see a, like a new crop of those websites. And I think maybe Bandcamp is a second generation music blog, a music company. Right. But there are not a lot of those yet. And I feel like we're going to we're going to start seeing more of them come around because, like you said, there's a lot of room for innovation in those markets and even in music writing. And I feel like right now I've been saying this all year long in music blogging. I feel like we're at like a 10 year low right now, like the the boom of mid 2000s music blogging that gave us bands like Arcade Fire and brand new propelled to the height of celebrity that they reached and all that stuff like that era of music blogs has either died been sold or birthed a whole bunch of smaller blogs that never really hit the same heights there's not been like a new stereo gum or pitchfork in a long time right but i feel like we're going to start to see those come up someone's someone somewhere had maybe they already have it there's a music blog or two out there right now that i feel are going to stumble into a way to boom again but it's just right now we're at this lull point right before the second generation kind of crops up in a big way. Yeah, definitely. And I'm definitely interested in seeing how this sort of all plays out, especially with streaming becoming as popular as it is. And, you know, Apple obviously has the money to keep Apple Music going, even if they get hit with a loss every year for paying the artists. And I feel like the way Apple is set up as a company, that's a hit they can easily take because streaming isn't their sole focus. It's not even their main focus because they're a product company before ever, before anything else. And I feel like something is going to happen with either Spotify or Tidal or what have you soon that will kind of make it a even smaller playing field than it already is. Oh, absolutely. I actually read this morning, um, 
the RIA put out a new report, their first positive growth report in a decade for the music business, which is incredible, which is kind of what got my brain on this like cyclical nature of the business idea. Um, but one of the things they pointed out was that Apple Music, for all of its, I think, 17 million subscribers, they only account for 2% of all the music streamed online right now. Right. Like, that's insane. It's such a, it, the, it, there's so much division right now. YouTube is the big one. YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, and I think it all kind of shrinks from there. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. We'll see, we're going to see some cool things happen in the next year or two. And it's really about, not even about writing as much as it is how people meld the stream, the, the success of streaming with music journalism. Cause I don't think, I mean, Apple music does it a little bit. Like there is an edit, there are editorial notes to their exclusive releases and stuff like that. But, right. but there isn't like a, I wish I could go on Spotify and see all the new music headlines along with streaming the songs related to those headlines. <laughs> like that yeah. would be a cool component. And if they could spawn, if they partnered with like, if they partnered with, maybe they partner with a different genre blog, like a hip hop and more does the hip hop or XXL or source. And, you know, uh, the boot does all the country music and chorus could be the alternative one off the top of my head. It'd probably be alternative press, let's be honest. Um, right. But if there's a way to integrate those two things into one streamline it's readership. And I think maybe that's where it's headed. I don't know, but I do feel like when I talk to people like you who are so driven and you're like, I'm, I'm going to figure out how to do this. I always am like, you're going to figure out, you're going to stumble upon something that's like, Oh, they haven't done this yet. And that's going to be your ticket. Right. Yeah. And it's definitely going to be very interesting to see how things play out. Like you said, even within the next year or two, I feel like the music industry has changed so much so quickly that it's like, okay, where are we going from here and how is this going to affect the music industry? Because right now I feel like there aren't a lot of entry level level jobs right now. And I feel like that's the main reason I've been having a hard time finding something that I would like to do because more often than not, when I look up jobs, it's like, we need a director for this, a manager for that. You need to have at least five years experience. And I'm like, Technically, I have been involved in the music industry for at least five years, but not in the sort of capacity that these people are looking for. So it'll be really interesting to see how things change and if that ultimately ends up creating more jobs in the music industry or if it makes it an even smaller amount than it already is. Definitely. I feel like at some point in the last 10 years, we confuse the word intern with entry level. And they're like, well, they'll, right. they'll they'll work for free until we can pay them. But like, if you get start getting paid, it's like you immediately jump to like at least it's it's not a ton of compensation. Most people are making like thirty grand or less, but it's it's always a big jump. Like they, like there are definitely like no part time music industry jobs. You're either right. you're you're either working way too much for free or you're working way too much and getting paid pennies. Yeah, and at a certain point, with internships being the sort of entry level jobs, it's like okay, I've done at least three to four internships. And now that I'm done with college, I don't want to do another internship because when you're done with college, you can't live off of an internship. Like there's just no way. And yes, I know I'm living at home right now, but I feel like I've already kind of almost been there, done that with the whole internship thing, considering I started interning in the music industry in high school. And then I had to do two internships for Drexel and 
I ended up doing three instead of just the required two, albeit two were both at Fearless Records, but I interned in different areas of the music industry when I went back to Fearless the second time. And it's, I don't want to say it's necessarily insulting that they think people just want to work for free. I think what's worse is the fact that they know they can convince people to work for free. No, it, it is. It, it is. It's one of the, I had, my first internship was at a radio promotions publicity place in Boston that when I, like my first week of being there, they found out they were going out of business. <laughs> um, wow. But so like I immediately knew like there's, this is not going to become a job. And then for the rest of the summer, I was like, well, why would I, why would I put forth a hundred percent effort? Like none of these people have a job, let alone are they able to give me a job. But I think a lot of times, even in successful workplaces like Fearless, I'm sure you had this thought at some point where you're like, okay, they seem to have as many people on staff right now as they can. And they're like a, basically a family because all these little music companies are basically families. And you're like, okay, well, either they're going to have to fire one of these integral parts of their company, or they're going to have to somehow find an extra $35,000 in their budget that they don't need to put into music to hire me. But like, how am I going? Like, it's one of those things where you, you kind of, you realize pretty early on, like, oh, there's probably not a job here for me. Right. And that's kind of, it's, it's insulting because like they don't necessarily put that on front street you know like if you want to intern for any record label they'll gladly welcome you in but it only takes about three days of being there to be like oh you don't this isn't going to go anywhere (laughs) most likely you're not hiring me yeah and i mean we even saw it with some of the bigger companies like warner and sony and all of these companies that were getting sued by interns because they were doing the oh go get me my coffee thing and go make copies of this and make copies of that. And it's like, okay, what good is that? Everyone knows how to get coffee and make copies. It's not, you know, <laughs> it's not a learning experience at that point. And that's really how a lot of companies get away with not paying because they're like, oh, you're going to be working hands-on and it'll be a learning experience. So then we don't have to pay you. And then, you know, when you get out of college like I did at the end of 2014, the internships start to say, oh, for college credit only, for this only. And you're like, okay, so where are the entry-level jobs that will actually pay me because I'm not in college anymore? <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I've, learned, I've learned through a few different people that some companies, uh, people that are in charge of interns, actually – intentionally make make their interns do the coffee thing and stuff like that because they live they work in an environment where they're like i don't even know if this place is going to be open next year so like i need to fight for my job so if i give you pointless tasks to do as an intern you don't have an opportunity to look like you could be better at this job than i am you know what i mean it's almost like they're self they're self-destructing well they're destroying potential competition while also having to technically be supporting an intern. You know what I mean? Because they, they, it's impossible not to view you as a threat to their job on some level. Yeah, and I mean, being at Fearless, I didn't get that at all. The first summer I interned as the street marketing intern. So I was sending a lot of stuff to the street team. And while that's not necessarily something that's educational, because I'm just mailing a bunch of stuff out most of the time, it's still something that someone needs to do. So it's not like I was going 
over to Starbucks and getting people their coffee and coming back and then just sitting there twiddling my thumbs the rest of the day. They actually had me doing something that needed to be done. And it was the same when I was doing publishing there. I was sending out emails upon emails every day to try and get songs placed in, you know, TV shows and what have you. And that's something that is productive and you can learn from more so on the publishing side of that. But it was still something, you know, like I said, that needed to be done. So I didn't feel like I was being cheated out of, you know, an internship or anything because I wasn't being useful. Right, right. Well, let's let's find a way to wrap this up. I feel like we we had a really great conversation, but it's been a pretty negative conversation. <laughs> yeah. um, so true. let's let's leave Sorry. people with some hope. Let's leave people with some hope. What? Uh, how do we find hope in all of this? Um, <laughs> well, let's say something positive. But you believe? I feel like you still you believe in the music business. Like you believe we'll get there. Yeah, and like I mentioned, a lot of these negative things have not personally happened to me. So I am aware they have happened and they happen to a lot of people. But for me, I just feel like, okay, I've had clearly a much better relationship with the music industry than a lot of people have had. So how do I kind of keep that going? And, you know, how do we try and make it better for everyone else who has had these negative experiences? And I think, There are a lot of people in the music industry who are genuinely good people. And, you know, I feel like it's those few bad apples that kind of ruin it for everyone at, you know, a specific point in time. Like, I think we just need to find a way to focus on the things that are going well in the music industry. Like we mentioned, you know, these changes that are coming with streaming becoming more prominent and everything, we can all look at those as a positive thing because streaming is way better than illegally downloading music. You know, artists are still getting compensated, even though it's not as much as, you know, sales would compensate them, but we're still moving in this positive direction where we're trying to get fewer and fewer people illegally downloading music and getting more and more people rewarding these artists for their work that they're doing and i think if we keep rewarding these artists those artists will be more willing to pay people to do their jobs i completely agree i i'm i'm with you i'm always say that as much as i i feel like the only way to be i guess a true music professional is to kind of embrace the negative sides at least you have to recognize them some people want to pretend like everything's fine or everything's getting better there's a lot of problems but at the end of the day like i don't think the music industry has bigger fans than you and i and other people who see it that way because you gotta you gotta root for it like you root for your favorite artist to be the next big thing you gotta root for the music industry to figure its shit out for lack of a better word you gotta you gotta hope that at one point we're gonna figure it out because Time and time again throughout the history of music in different genres and different artists, there are countless stories about people who have figured it out. That's that's kind of what all great success stories in the music industry begin with somebody figuring it out. Figuring out how to reach somebody, figuring out how to market somebody, figuring out how to pay people. <laughs> um it's it's a constant it's a constant learning curve. And right now the music industry has this really big kind of evolution that it needs to do the industry has been around like if you think about 
Sun Records launching in 19, like in early 1950s. This is like the first kind of modern record label. Um, the internet, as we know it today, only comes along like 30 years later. Right. And it, it grows and evolves way faster than the music industry. The music industry is still, by and large, a very young industry, and it has a lot of growing up left to do. But I think we'll get there, and people like you, who I immensely respect and I look up to in terms of your drive and your work ethic and just everything you do, I feel like you're going you're gonna to find your place because you're recognizing the problems that the industry has and that you don't let it deter you. Right, and, you know, that's... Not to say I don't get down some days more than others, you know, like, okay, I don't have a job. I really need a job, you know, <laughs> like, why can't I find a job sort of thing? But it's like, I went into this knowing what to expect. And I feel like a lot of people go into it not knowing what to expect. And I think that's really where, you know, the music industry needs to be a little more transparent with how things are. And, you know, a business is a business just because the music industry works differently in some aspects, business still needs to happen and business still needs to be done and people still need to be paid. That's going to be the same no matter what industry you're in. And people talk a lot, you know, about the tech industry too, and how brutal that is. So it's like, we just need to, I think, find a way to make it more transparent, probably a little less brutal in a lot of different senses here. And I think once we figure out how to do that, the music industry might not seem quite as intimidating. I agree. I agree. Well, Deanna Chapman, we've officially become one of the longest episodes of Inside Music, <laughs> which I think I was just one of the longer episodes of your show. So that's only Yes, I, I think you came in second. All together, all together, if they listen to both episodes back to back, what's like sitting through Batman v Superman, except it's, <laughs> except it's more entertaining and we don't fight. Yes, yes, this is very true. I promise next time you have me on, this will be a much more positive conversation. <laughs> we can talk about all the right music next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, no, let's definitely get you back on. I, uh, you're coming, do you have like, so last question, because this is something I've been kicking around a lot for myself. You talked about episode 50 coming up. Like, is episode 50 for Miss Align going to be like an event of some kind? I don't think episode 50 of this show is an, an event. I wanted it to be, but then I was like, ah, I'll just get an episode out. So for you, is it like, is it going to be a special episode of some kind? Well, we had to change the scheduling a little bit because episode 49 was our, our book club episode. And typically I would do a guest episode next. But I didn't really want to do a guest episode for the 50th episode because I feel like, you know, depending on the guest, they probably wouldn't even care really that it was the 50th episode, especially if it was, you know, just someone who, you know, their publicist hit me up and they wanted them on the show and they probably haven't listened to the show so we're going to do a regular episode but I have not figured out what to do yet because I don't you know I don't want to make the episode all about me just because I'm the only one who's been on all 50 episodes mm. I kind of want to make it more about the idea of misaligned and kind of where we're going to go from here and how we manage to do another 50 episodes mm. I like it kind of like a, a look back and a look to the future yeah, I think it'll definitely be like a 
misaligned, introspective <laughs> kind of episode. Well, uh, episode 100 of this show will be a guest episode. It'd be weird. I, I've thought of, there's one, there's a half episode at one point where that we had to take a couple of breaks off for some personal stuff. And so I did like a mini episode that was just me talking to the audience. But I realized like I only need to do one of those. Uh, maybe one every hundred episodes. Uh, so my episode 100 will have a guest. It'll have yeah, a- and we only have one half episode as well, so I'm not really counting that. Yeah, because it was kind of like an addition. <laughs> to yeah, that sort of thing. I guess yeah. I have a couple. I have a couple of halvesies. Sometimes it's just like uh, like Butch Vig is considered a half episode because we had like a good conversation, but we he specifically came on to promote a very specific thing, so the whole conversation is kind of built around that one thing. So I didn't think right. it was like a classic one to say music. But since you're on the show and we're talking, we're on this show. I'll tell people now. Like, so I've been trying to plan a guest 100. So I've been like reeling my mind. Who do I know that hasn't been on the show that has a story to tell that hasn't already done a ton of other podcasts? Because we have some upcoming. You're on the show this week because Aaron Gillespie dropped out, and I know uh, he's going to do the show next week. But like there was a last minute delay, and so like there's already some nice guests on the on the horizon. But they're also I I know that they're doing the podcast rounds. Like uh, Anthony Green is. I know that he's going to be on a podcast that's coming out, I think, tomorrow. I forget which one. Um, but he's going to do this show soon. So, like, they, they're in podcast mode right now. I don't want one yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. I don't want one I, of those guests. Right. I can definitely tell when that happens because, you know, I'll get your episode. I'll get, you know, noise creators. And, you know, even sometimes Modern Vinyl will have the same guests. Oh, I'm it's just so like, frustrating because they, right. <laughs> they don't tell us. And I guess I should start to learn to ask because I don't have any expectations of exclusivity but there's only so many hour-long conversations one person can have uh in like a week span that are going to be on the same topic but different but so yeah right now we have a yes and and another thing about episode 100 we're doing it in person so like I'm going to fly to wherever the guest of episode 100 is and I'm going to do the episode in person so that it's like awesome like I said we're going to do a quality reset so now we're going to we're going to change it up a little bit but right now that guest is Craig Owens of Shiotos. Nice, nice. And he's never done a podcast, so it'll be and and a lot of people don't know what what the hell he's doing right now, and myself <laughs> myself included. Like Shiotos hasn't updated their social since November of last year, but they haven't broke up. But I know that Bradley, the second writer of Shiotos, is selling insurance in Flint, Michigan, right now. So there's a lot of things. And Craig released all those weird solo EPs and tracks for a while there, and now he's in the studio. He wrote a bunch of bands' albums. He's a, he's a staff writer at Invogue Records, writing for a bunch of bands. And he has a lot of stuff going on. So right now the plan is that I'll fly to Detroit for episode 100, and we're going to do a, a long conversation with Craig Owens. But that might change because he is not an easy man to get a hold of. <laughs> oh, uh, like we, we text, but I told someone the other day that texting with Craig Owens, and he knows I say this, so I don't mind saying it on, on something that's public record, but texting <laughs> with Craig Owens is like texting your best friend right and then they see your text travel to the moon travel back recover (laughs) and then they send you a follow-up reply like it's it's a process where if i text him on monday if i've heard back by wednesday it's we're good and you just can't take offense to it just what happens yeah (laughs) you know how it is in the music business some people are just busy you just gotta hope that they have time when you need them <laughs> yeah I mean I'm sure I've done this to you where you know I think I sent you something you know like a fantastic four thing or something and oh, I was yeah. like hey did you check this did you check this and I was like okay I think I'm gonna stop emailing him because yeah. it might be bothering him and it's not like and I've read it and I think it's great but I, the finding the time to be like this is great here's what we should do with it hey, let's do it right like, right because yeah, you have the same thing where it's like 
it's not just saying yes to something. It's like, as soon as I say yes, then we have to do all of the other things that go with what yes implies. You know what I mean? Like I, if I say yes, I want to I wanna run the thing that you sent me and then I want to bring you on to Substream and we got to get you, you know, trained at Substream and we got to do this and do this. And it's like, okay, I got to find room to do all of those things. So Yeah, and I think when I hit you up about it, it was like right when you were getting ready to get married, I was like, oh. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, that that happens a lot. I actually I got an email on the day of my wedding uh, press release that was like, I know it's your wedding day, but I wanted to make sure you saw this band's new video. So I, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Not everyone has that tact. Um, yeah. But OK, we did. We made it an hour and 15 minutes. It'll be 120 with my introduction. Do you I never do this. Do you want to choose the song that's your intro song? Do you have something you're listening to right now that I can drop a few seconds in because you're not a musical guest? Ooh, let's see. I would definitely toss in one of the new Fossil Youth singles. Okay, from, I, I've been listening to that album too. Yes, yes. And I always have permission from Joe to use his songs, so I'm sure it will not be a problem. I really wanted to give you something like Jimmy Eat World, but I don't want anyone getting in trouble for using Jimmy Eat World this far in advance. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I'll I think I'll get away with the uh, fossils just well, and they're going to be on the show soon. So anyone that likes the song they heard at the beginning of this episode, we're going to do one of these. I do like sometimes I do two guests in one episode, like Steal from Mark Marin. I do like ten minutes with somebody at the top of another conversation. Right. So we're gonna I'm gonna do one of those with Fossil Youth in the near future. So if you like the song that opened this episode, go pre-order it because that album's up for pre-order now, and uh, then hang around and maybe maybe they'll be on 100. Maybe they'll be a guest on 100. Who knows? Nice, nice. Going to have to listen to that. <laughs> yeah, now you have to. Now you're in. All right, so one play. One play guaranteed of episode 100. <laughs> uh, all right, Deanna, I'm going to let you get to your day, but thank you so much for uh, letting me eat up your morning. No problem. Thank you for having me on. All right, everyone, check it out. Where can they find you on Twitter and everything? Real quick. On Twitter, I am at DChap, but that is with three E's, so it is D-E-E-E-C-H-A-P, because literally no version of my actual name is available on Twitter, at Deanna is taken, at Chapman is taken, at Deanna Chapman is taken, at Deanna underscore Chapman is taken, so I've given up. Even with, I think, my middle initial, it's taken. So at some point, it's just going to be way too long of a name to even want it as your Twitter handle, Mm -hmm. and that is what I ended up with. So that is what it is. And from there, you can probably find all of the various places that I write for. I think I somehow managed to squeeze them all into the little Twitter bio there. All righty. Well, then everyone go check that out and listen to Misaligned. If you need an episode to start with, I was just on one. So find that one. Yes, work your way backwards. And uh, if you want to find that online, it's, it's at the Modern Vinyl website, right? Modern-vinyl.com. Yes. All right. Well, I think that's everything. And this will be out probably later today. I actually am leaving work early to go to a movie screening because I'm sneaky like that. Nice. But this will be out soon. Awesome. All right. You have a great day, Deanna. You too. All right. Bye. Bye.